said, Dad, but it feels like it's double winter. I said, what does that mean? He said, the goose pimples on my skin are so big I could see them in the mirror. I said, yeah, man, I feel you. My daughter, who's three, said to me, Dad, I feel you need to put a coat on top of my coat, on top of my coat, on top, and she just went on for the next two minutes, on top of my coat, and I was like, yes, I feel you, these are my children, this is, this is, this is proof that they came from my DNA, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, take me back to summer anytime, but we are here in the presence of God, and in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, and in his right hand, there is pleasures evermore, so wherever, whatever the weather is like outside, whatever the weather is in your mind, whatever the weather has been in your home, I want to encourage you that God is good and God has something special for you today. I'm going to read uh, two bits in the Bible and then we are going to uh, uh, just share from share a few thoughts from these bits in the Bible. If you are new to our community, welcome. Thank you so much. And uh, we pray that you will also uh, take part in all of the things that's coming up in the life of our church. Um, our teams have been meeting, our leadership teams have been meeting over the last few months, and we we kind of got our Christmas diary in place, and believe it or not, we've got our 2024 20, diary in place, and we've got, even though we've got double services uh, on on um, on starting from 2024, I think there's at least four or five Sundays in 2024, we're going to have three services a Sunday, we're just creating space for God to move, and so if you're new to our community, I want to encourage you to just plug in and be part of everything that God is doing here as well. I'm going to read from three bits in the Bible, 1 Samuel 21, uh, from Leviticus as well as Matthew 12, so we'll have 1 Samuel 21 verse 1, this is what it says, David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? <clears throat> uh, now then, what do you... Sorry, can we go back to the previous slide? Why, verse 2. David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I have sent you, with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Verse 3, now then, what do you have in your hand? Give me five loaves of bread on whatever is he, or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. Verse 5, David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of this young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Verse 7, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. David said to Ahimelech, then, have you not a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that there. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Actually, I'll tell you what, before I go to Matthew, uh, I'll just pray and then I'll just explain this bit before we 
uh, I ask for the Matthew verses to be up. Will you pray with me for a moment? Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that uh, you will speak to our hearts. Thank you that you will speak with power, with purpose, and with clarity. Thank you that today our lives will never be the same again. This church will never be the same again. Our towns will never be the same again. This nation will never be the same again. Wherever you speak, transformation follows. Wherever you speak, life comes up. Wherever you speak, demons tremble. Wherever you speak, sicknesses are healed. Wherever you speak, your kingdom is built. Do that today, we pray. I trust you to do it. I thank you for what, in advance for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those TV shows where I think it's like called Antiques Roadshow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Basically, um, it's, it's, you kind of go into your attic or your loft or some sort of corner in your house and pull out an artifact or an old painting or something that you think of is of, you know, it's been gathering dust for many, many years. And then you bring it to somebody who knows how to value artifacts. And you kind of pick this up from your from the corner of your house. It's It's been catching dust. You've been using it as a, a teapot, a tea stand, a footstool, a rest. You've been using it as the dustbin and everything in between. And then you bring it to somebody who knows the true value of it. They look at it. They see who made it. They see what it's made of. They see how old it is. And they say, would you like me to give you a valuation? And uh, at that point, they go, okay, then give us a valuation and say, this thing that you've had collecting dust in your house is worth, you know, how many of hundreds of thousands or millions. And it's, 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 it's just such a sight to watch the faces of these people who had no idea that in their house collecting dust in the attic or the loft or in the corner of their house somewhere was something that was so valuable because, you see, you don't know value unless somebody tells you what its value is. It is not human nature to instinctively know value unless somebody teaches you that's valuable. So you can just go around and the reason you know value is because you know what you have paid for what you have. And some of the things in your house are more expensive than others. So you have an idea that things in your house, what's valuable and what's not so valuable. Did you know that in your life, God has deposited certain things? And if you don't know what their value is, you will think that what you have is not valuable, where you might be actually sitting on a fortune. And one of the things that we do as followers of Jesus Christ is that we will spend all of eternity discovering what God has already deposited on the inside. This is why Bible says, the Bible says, we were once objects of wrath, but God who was rich in mercy raised us up and seated us up in heavenly places with Christ. Why? So that in the ages to come, ages, plural, to come, he will show to us the immeasurable riches of Christ Jesus in kindness expressed towards us. That means in all of the ages that's left for our future, it's an entire discovery of everything that God has already deposited on the inside. The Christian life is a discovery of who you already have become. It's, it's, that it's not that God is not going to love you any more than he loves you today. He's not going to forgive you any more than he forgives you today. You are completely loved, completely accepted. You are as Christ today as you will ever be. However, the rest of your life, the Bible says, is a discovery of all of the kind things God has in store for you. I don't know about 
about you. That is good news to me because that means my life cannot be determined by how I feel on the day. It has to be determined by divine truth and divine truth says that God is just waiting for an opportunity to show off his kindness to me. That means good things are coming your way and good things are coming my way because our God is a good God and he has so much goodness that he wants to show to us. I want to speak to you today about this on the topic, I didn't know my own worth. I did not know my own worth. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was sitting on. I did not, I had no idea what was deposited on the inside of me. Because you see, sometimes when you look at the artifact in the house and it's caught dust and nobody's liked it, nobody, it doesn't really have a prominent location or a prominent place and it doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't look like it's anything of worth. We can devalue sometimes that which is really valuable. And sometimes when you, not only you devalue, it, but you see everybody in your house devaluing it. You grew up and you saw your parents devalue that painting. And you thought, well, if they have not taken much care of it, it probably isn't worth anything. And when you grow up not realizing something is valuable, you can look at that and say, man, I don't have much to offer. The Christian life or a follower of Jesus Christ or anybody who begins a life trusting God, it feels a bit like that because so many times we other people can look on the inside and more importantly, God can stand on the outside, look at you and say, if only they knew that thing that they are currently valuing as not really good, not really pleasant, not really important. You know, sometimes when those paintings are in your house and they've collected dust and and when, when guests come to your house, that's the first thing you're trying to hide. You just hope, man, this is messy. I hope nobody sees this. And some of us are trying to live life that way, where we try and hide away certain things that other people shouldn't see because we think, oh, I think these bits I can expose to people, so they're great. But these bits I hope people don't see anyway because they're not, then they're ugly, they're dirty, they've been collecting dust for a long time. I hope they don't see it. Could it be possible that the very thing you're trying to hide, the very thing you're trying to run away from, the very thing you are seeing as your trauma is actually your trump card because you have no idea that what God has prepared for you is is not the way is not how you think is going to turn out what no eye has seen that means you have no perspective what no ear has heard that means you have no information what no mind has conceived that means you have no understanding the bible says what no eye has seen what no ear has heard what no mind has understood what god has prepared for them that love him that means god has prepared something for you that you have no reference point for but if you will trust his goodness you're going to stumble into something that is so worth and valuable and you may not see it you may not feel it you may not understand it but this one thing God is asking for you will you trust me that I am good and will you praise me in the middle of your not understanding and saying God I don't see it but I'm going to give you a shout of praise right now because you are a good God and I trust that good things are coming my way and my eyes will be open to see what it is so we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 21, if we can have those verses, the story of David coming to a priest, a man called Ahimelech. And David, Ahimelech the priest, says to him, how come you're on your own? Like, why are you alone and why is nobody with you? Usually David, when he traveled, he traveled with an army. He had warriors, he had commanders of the army, he had people, he had people on his team. But Ahimelech the priest looks at David and says, this is funny. You usually travel with the troop. Why are you alone? Why are you on your own? And look at what David says. Well, he said, 
Look at verse 2, if we can keep going to the next slide. David said, the king charged me with a matter that's so secretive. And he said, let no one know anything of the matter about which I've sent you and with which I've charged you. And I've made an appointment with young men for such and such a place. It's like one of those James Bond movies. It's like you, you, you've been sent by the king on a top secret mission. And the king says to David, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about this mission. You've got to go to this place. You've got to meet some young men there. I'm sending you there, but you can't tell anyone. So Ahimelech, the priest, says to David, how come you're on your own? David says, well, I had no choice because the king was like, don't tell anybody. And if I can't tell anybody, then I can't bring anybody with me. And sometimes in life, when you are on the king's mission, it's not wise for you to tell everybody what mission you're on. Because some missions are meant to be between you and the king. It's like a relationship. The more intimate your relationship is, there are certain things that only you and the most intimate person you're in love with know. And sometimes God calls you to... God calls you to seasons where you have to journey with God, with the king, with maybe just some of your people who are in your, in your circle. You are on a mission where you feel, gosh, I wish I could tell everybody what I was on. I wish I could tell everybody the stress I was under. I wish I could tell everybody that God had commanded me on this mission. I wish I could tell everybody what I was on. But the king has said, don't tell anybody about the mission that we're on. You see, there's always wisdom in knowing what to share with people and what not to share with people. And the key, and David knew if the king told me that I shouldn't tell anybody, it's best to keep my mouth shut. I should go on this mission on my own. The problem with going on a mission where you don't share with people is that people are not there then to support you. People are not there then to applaud for you. People are not there then to pray with you. People are not there then to carry things along in the journey with you. And so you are all on your own. What do you do when you find yourself on a journey and if you could just stand up and say do you guys have any idea what I'm going through what I'm carrying where I've been what I'm doing now where I'm going what God has asked me to do but you cannot because if you were to able to explain to everybody yes you could gather a few sympathies and you could tell that people would clap for you and maybe empathize and draw alongside you and grab support and grab your hand but a follower of Jesus Christ every now and then will end a season of your life where God will tell you to shut up. Keep quiet. This journey is between you and me and you and I have to journey this together. Ahimelech says to David, how come nobody is with you? David's like, I had no choice. King told me, don't tell anybody. I'm on my own. He said to me, I've made an appointment. I need you to go meet young men and I've charged you not to tell Anybody, what do you do when you are on a journey and you can't really ask people for help and support? And, and sometimes, sometimes our flesh, sometimes the desire for validation, for the, sometimes the desire for people, people's approval, want us to blurt out our story to everybody. Hey, you won't be, be amazed. You know, one day I had a phone call and the king called me and the king said, I'm going on a mission. Listen, he told me it's top secret, but because you're my friend, I'm just telling you, don't tell anybody, okay? But God will put you through that school again and again until you are willing to go through something on your own where you will learn to journey between you and your king and the law. And God is checking whether can I trust you to keep a secret? Can I trust you to journey this with me? Here's the problem. When you've got nobody with you, 
back in the Middle East where David was. It's really hot. It's a desert. There aren't service stations or pit stops where you can pull in to McDonald's and get a burger and a drink. No, it is very hot. It's very humid. So not only is he on a king's mission, but he is on his own with no support structures around him. So what happens when you go on a long journey with no support structures around you? You get hungry. That's what happens. You get thirsty. Look at the next verse. David says, what have you got on hand? Give me five loaves of bread. Here's how you know when a man is really hungry. The next phrase, or whatever is here. When a man says, I'll eat anything. Like, give me some bread or just whatever is here. Can you please give me something to eat? David says, I'm so hungry because usually he'd have a team of people carrying bread and olive oil and whatever they ate and drank in those days. But this is such a top secret mission that when he said yes to the mission, he didn't realize that there was a cost to it. He comes to the temple, he meets Ahimelech and says, have you got any food? Like, give me just some bread. I'll eat anything. Just give me anything. The priest answered, I don't have common bread. But I do have holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. Verse 5, David said, Truly the women have kept us, have been kept from us as always when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary vessel. How much more today will the vessels be holy? Verse 6, So the priest gave him holy bread because there was no bread there except the bread of the presence. If you're reading the Old Testament, this bread has got many names. Some of it's called, sometimes it's called the bread of the presence. Sometimes it's called holy bread. Sometimes it's called the shoe bread. And sometimes it's called pierced bread. It's removed from the bread of the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it's taken away. Now, there's only one problem. And uh, here's the problem. And the problem is, has been introduced by God himself. So let's look at the problem. Leviticus, if we go to the verse in Leviticus, if we can have that in the New Living Translation, if it's ready. This bread was meant to be eaten by Aaron and his sons only. Aaron was the priest or the high priest of the day. And nobody else was supposed to touch it. Whose law was that? Whose rule was that? It was God himself who said, well, this bread, nobody else is supposed to eat. Nobody else is supposed to touch. Leviticus 24, verse 8 and 9. Every Sabbath, Aaron shall arrange for it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. Verse 9. And it shall be for Aaron and for his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering a perpetual due. A perpetual due in the New Living Translation is translated, this is a permanent order. This is a permanent commandment. This is a permanent right for the priests to claim the portion of the food. So now David's in trouble. If we can go back to First Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, we'll hold that there. David is hungry. He's got no food. The priest says to him, I've got some food. Here's the problem. This food is the table of, it's from the table of showbread. It's the bread of the presence. According to God's law, only the priests are supposed to eat it. You're not a priest. And Aaron's like, can you at least promise me that you've been holy, that you've not been kind of with women? And, and, and David's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I, I haven't been with women. Can you just give me the bread? Because he's like, yes, 
I, I think I'm going to break the law here, but let's eat the bread. And guess what? David ate something and broke the law on that day. Leviticus says only Aaron and his boys are supposed to eat the bread. And David ends up eating the bread of the presence or the bread of the showbread. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched one of these commentaries on a football match that's already finished. You know what I'm talking about? Like the match has gone on or some event has gone on and you're catching up on the news in the evening. And there's like a five-minute commentary on a one-hour event. There's a, there's, a, there's a commentary of something significant that happened, whether it was you know, the coronation or a football match. You catch up on the news, and uh, it isn't as long. But they give you a five-minute highlight of what happened, and the experts or the pundits come and give a commentary on what just happened. Thousands of years later, Jesus does a commentary on this day. Like this day, you know, when David went and he had no food and he was like, give me the, yeah, I'll eat anything. It's like, well, I've only got holy bread here. Well, we, well, here you go. You can eat holy bread. He eats the holy bread. He breaks the law that was written in Leviticus. And thousands of years later, Jesus is like, I'm going to do a commentary on that day. I'm going to, I'm going to give my take. I'm going to give the experts take on what that day was looking like. You want to read that commentary? We're going to read that commentary together. Matthew chapter 12, starting from verse 1. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat. And it was not lawful for those who were with him to eat. That was just meant for the priests. I mean, this is not a flex, is it? Like, Jesus... He's saying, hey, you know my boy David? You saw that day he broke the law? Yeah, that's my boy. Like, why would Jesus do that? Why is Jesus bragging about the day David broke, broke the law? Let's read that again. I first read it and I thought, are you really bragging that, that David broke the law? Who, who wrote the law? He did. Everything that is in existence, the Bible says, has been made by him, for him, and through him. So God gave the law. The law is holy. And David breaks the law. And hundreds of years later, the man who wrote the law is bragging that the man broke the law. Let's read that again. Jesus said to them, okay, let's look at the context Verse 1 and 2, Jesus' disciples were going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, on the day you were not supposed to work. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck heads of grain and began to eat. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day saw it and said, Look, your followers, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus says, verse 3, Have you not read? What David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat. Nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. 
Verse 7, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have been condemned with the guiltless, condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Why is he bragging that his boy broke the law? I mean, he gave the law. He said the law was holy. Why is this important and how is this connected to not knowing your worth and not knowing that perhaps in your back pocket you have something of so much value that you are not even aware of. Let's go back to the initial story that we're reading. Not only is David hungry, if we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, why are you, with, why are you alone? No, is no one with you? He's like, well, the king told me. That I have to keep the secret, verse 2. And then we come to verse 3. He said, have you got any food? He said, well, there's just holy bread here. Verse 5, he said, well, give it to me. That's fine. I I think I can eat it. Verse 6, the priest gave him the holy bread that day. Verse 7, now there was a certain man of Saul there. And David's looking at him. And remember, he's come all by himself with secrets. So his armor bearers, those days when you go out to war, you, 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 if, you, if you were the person that used a weapon, a sword, you had somebody who, who walked with you called an armor bearer who would carry your sword so that on the day of the battle it would be given to you so you can use it. But he had no armor bearer with him. So he's got now another predicament. What's the predicament? Verse 8. David said to Ahimelech, have you got a spear or a sword? I have brought neither sword nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. He's like, I was in such a hurry. I didn't, I didn't even carry weapons. So I've got no food. I'm hungry. I've got no weapons. I've got no sword with me. Have you got anything? Ahimelech says, well, you know, years ago, you killed this guy called Goliath. Goliath was a giant. Look at verse 9. A priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is no sword like that sword. Give it to me. So here he is, totally unprepared, totally alone, completely hungry, has no weapons in his hands. He's got no sword. He's, not got no, he's got no spear. He's got no bread. And he ends up eating what nobody else has ever eaten. And he ends up using the best sword in all the country. And why did Jesus feel it was necessary hundreds of years later to pick up on the story and give his commentary on why he was so proud of David when he broke the law? It doesn't make any sense. That's why we have to understand Jesus' final statement. He says, I want you to understand the Son of Man, which is himself, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of the Sabbath. The reason this is okay is because Jesus Christ is the Lord of the of the Sabbath. Let me explain to you what happened. Here is David completely hungry. He has no food with him. He is completely exhausted, completely famished. You can see how weak he is, how empty he is because he's using the words, please just give me whatever you have. And he eats the bread that is only meant for the priest in the course of doing that. He breaks the law. Jesus says, can you not see that the Sabbath is not for the man, but man is, is, is not the, the, the man is not meant for the Sabbath. 
Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant for the man. That the Sabbath is God's gift to God's people. You see, the first time Sabbath was ever mentioned, or the Sabbath, or the holy day was ever mentioned, was in the book of Exodus chapter 16. And God said it this way. He said, the Sabbath is meant to be a gift to people. So I want you to imagine that I decide to give my friend here, Paul, a gift one day. So I buy him a nice wallet. I take it home, and then I wrap it up, and I put a ribbon on it, and I make sure it's nicely presented. And here's the gift I am meant to give to Paul. And instead of giving the gift to Paul, I think, you know what would be a really nice idea? I'm going to make sure I wrap up Paul, put a bow on him, and gift him to the wallet. You would think I'd lose my mind. Because one here is the gift, the other person is the recipient of the gift. And you see, in the Bible, the Sabbath or the holy day was God's gift he meant for people. And instead of it becoming a gift and saying, God, you are so generous. Thank you that you supply all my needs. People began to say, let me show God how much of a gift I am to him. So they began to say, hey, did you know I didn't eat today? You didn't eat today? Oh, I'm going to do one better. Did you know I didn't eat today and I didn't drink today either? You didn't eat today and drink today? Oh, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to show God that I've got a much better gift. I didn't go eat. I didn't eat today. I didn't drink today. And I didn't even go to work today. You didn't do that? Oh, I'm going to show that I've got a better gift to give to God. I didn't eat today. I didn't drink today. I didn't go to work today. I didn't even take my cow out to the pasture today. And the next person was like, oh, is that how holy you are? Then I've got to go show God that how much of a better Christian I am. I didn't eat today. I didn't drink today. I didn't say hello to my wife today. I didn't say hello to my kids today. I didn't wash my clothes today. I didn't take a bath today. And And it just kept going on and on and on and on and on. And the person that did absolutely nothing on the Sabbath was considered the most holy, righteous, pure person. And so these people became religious leaders of the day. They were called the Pharisees. And one day they're observing Jesus and his boys walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. Some of the boys were hungry. They plucked some grain and began to eat it. And all the Pharisees said, Ha, that's not what a Christian looks like. If they were a true Christian, they wouldn't be eating. They came to Jesus and said, Your disciples, I saw them eating grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, Wait a minute. Have you not heard? about my boy David. He went to the temple. He was hungry. And when he was hungry, he broke the law and ate the temple, ate the bread of showbread. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath? What was he trying to say? You cannot impress God with your sacrifice. You cannot impress God with your holiness. You cannot impress God with your perfection. You cannot impress God by how hard you try and how much you give. The only thing that impresses God is when you look to him and say, God, you are generous. I am not. I am in need of you and I receive from you everything you have for me. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. They missed the point that on the Sabbath it wasn't about you proving how good you are to God. It was about positioning your heart to receive how good God was to you. And if you will get the two mixed up, you will think, what do I need to do next? How hard do I need to pray? What version of the Bible do I need to write? How long do I need to pray? What time should I arrive at church? How many times should I come to church? And you will keep asking questions about what is the next thing I need to add in order to live a holy life? What's the next thing I need to do in order to do that? No, you cannot live a holy life. You could not do it. I could not do it. The reason we could not do it is because we thought we could 
could do it with all of our strength and our might and our ability and our consecration. But you can never walk in the power of God. You can never walk in the presence of God. You can never walk in victory over sin. If you think you've got the ability inside of you, my friend, God has to supply the strength that you need to walk in power. God has to supply the strength for you to walk in victory over sin. And if you will come today and your excuse is, I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. Therein lies the problem. Your trial and your proof at how big of a gift you can give to God will never impress him. But if you will come to God and say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. I am done keeping laws. I am come keeping traditions. I am come, I'm done keeping all the things that think will make me holy. But I will come to Jesus Christ and say, God, I cannot do it. I cannot. There is nothing in me left. Did you know that what you have in your back pocket, the feeling of total inadequacy is your greatest weapon. Did you know the one thing that you have in your life, some of you have walked in here today I and think, you're thinking, I am totally, completely way over my head. People think I'm a leader. People think I'm on serving on team at church. People think I'm a Christian. And so I maintain a face. But right in the inside of me, I feel a bit like David. I feel like a man with no weapons in my hand. I feel like a man that's completely empty. I feel like a man that's completely drained. I've got not eaten food in many days. Lord, I, if you do not sustain me one more moment, I don't know how I'm going to make it. If you have walked in here today with like that, you're about to enter into the antiques roadshow and God is going to showcase your weakness and say you had no idea what you had in your back pocket was more valuable than you ever realized you had no idea that what you had was more precious than you ever knew you had no idea that my strength is made perfect in your weakness if you are weak today if you are hungry today if you are empty today if you've got nothing today God is about to show off in your life with power and Jesus Christ will prove that he is the Lord of the Sabbath Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he gives a master class to the religious leaders of the day you thought you could impress me by not eating not drinking not working not washing your clothes not going to for a bath you thought that was going to impress God you really thought you really thought you really thought that last week you didn't pray and so before you came to church today, you thought, I'm going to make up for it and you're going to pray two days this week. You thought that was going to impress God. You didn't tithe last month, so you thought, and next time, in order to make up for it, I'm going to double tithe. You thought God was going to go, bravo, well done. That's what a Christian looks like. You really thought, oh, this time when I come to church, I'm just going to give all out in my worship. And when I do that, the presence of God is going to come down and it's going to change my life. I am going to worship in a way. You really thought God was going to be impressed by that. You really thought that coming to church by sacrificing, even though your family don't understand, you thought, oh, today God is going to be really happy with me. I made an effort, even though it was really cold. I got up, brushed my hair, put on some nice clothes, came to church, even though the friends that I knew should come aren't here. And I know that God's going to be, you really thought that was going to impress God. No, my friends, you cannot impress God with any of your hard work or your striving or your trying or your impressing God. God is not 
impressed by you. There is only one thing that impresses God himself. And that is why he came as his own gift and said, I will be the gift where you cannot give me a gift that is good enough. I will be the gift you can give back to me. So God became the gift. He wrapped himself up in humanity and he put himself on a Roman cross between two thieves and shed his blood from his face, from his head, from his back, from his hands, from his feet. He was stripped naked and paraded before the whole world and said, this is what a gift looks like. If there is one gift that is accepted in the presence of God, it is the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one we worship. He is the one we adore. He is the one we praise. He is the one we exalt. He is the one we honor. He is the one we look to. There is nobody but Jesus. There's nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. There is nobody but Jesus. And you walked in today saying, I've got no bread. I'm hungry. I got no sword. I'm all on my own. I can't even share my story with people. I know what the king is asking me to do. I don't even know I've got the strength to go there because in order to go there, I've got to leave some people behind. And I've got to go on this journey in the Middle East in the middle of the hot sun and it's going to be... I, I don't know if I've got much left. And all of heaven and all of the angels, the archangels... All of the saints that have gone before us, Abraham and David and all the, all the apostles of old are looking down from heaven. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In fact, some of them may be in the room right now, even though you can't see it. And they're looking at you and saying, you have no idea how precious that is. You have no idea how a heart that says, I have nothing to give except Jesus. God is saying that is the greatest gift you can ever give to the world when you come empty, when you come with nothing, when you come with a yielded heart, when you come with a surrendered heart, when you say, I've got nothing with me, I have no bread give me anything I'll eat it that my friends is more valuable than preaching a sermon that's more valuable than all the money you will give and no wonder Thousands of years later, when the man that wrote the law was doing commentary on it, said, do you know my boy David? You saw how he broke the law? You saw when he entered the presence of God, he wasn't trying to impress me. He wasn't trying to show me how holy he was. He wasn't trying to show me how prepared he was. He just said, I'll eat anything. I'll eat anything. I'll only got the holy bread. In fact, in the Bible... Like I said to you, the holy bread has several words. Sometimes it's called the holy bread. Sometimes it's called the bread of the presence. Sometimes it's called the show bread. But here's my favorite word for the holy bread. It's called the pierced bread. Why? Because God, when he gave instructions on how to bake this loaf of bread, he said, once you've got the dough, before you put it in the oven to bake, he said, pierce it. Pierce it. That's got a name. It's called the pierced bread. It was not something that was just there, but it pointed to a day when the real bread of life would come in living form and they would pierce his hands and pierce his feet and pierce his side and he would be broken and beaten 
to human pulp and he is standing there today as the living bread to everybody says I'm over my head I feel inadequate I feel weak I feel I have nothing then today God wants you to know that his sufficiency his supply is enough for you it's enough for you he is the pierced one he is the pierced one they pierced his hands they pierced his knee his his feet they pierced his side they whipped his back they pierced his head they pulled the beard from his face he shed blood until there was no blood left the bible says he was beaten beyond human resemblance and when we come to church we don't come to impress god we come with open arms to receive the pierced one the broken one the wounded one his broken body is enough you may not feel like you're enough you may not feel like your mom did enough or your dad did enough or your spouse was enough you may not feel like you are enough but i want to say to you christ is enough christ is enough christ is enough Christ is enough. So I'm done keeping the law. Because Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law. And now on the Sabbath the point is not me proving to God how much I can perform. It's to open hearts and say now Lord I'll receive I'll receive. So a person who 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 understands that you don't have to inspire them to pray. They pray. You don't have to inspire them to tithe and give they give because they have received the pierced one they have the received the pierced one can you imagine what it's like to take that loaf of bread once it's baked there's holes throughout it there were 12 loaves of bread that had to be put in two rows of six and to pierce it before they baked it it's all in the bible They called it the pierced bread. I love that more than any other description. There's about six or seven names that bread has got. But my favorite one is it's the pierced bread. It was the one that was given. Why didn't David break the law on the day? Or why did he break the law and why was Jesus so proud of it? Jesus was so proud of David when he broke the law because he realized David understood. I'm not coming here to prove my worthiness to eat this. I've got nothing and I don't have anything. But I'm willing to receive the pierced bread. I'm willing to receive Jesus. And Jesus' final statement to the Pharisees who had a complaint was this. You have no idea. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath is God's gift to man. man is not god's gift to sabbath he is our sabbath back in the day sabbath was a was a day today sabbath is a person jesus is my rest and when i enter his rest i receive in him everything to every person that is feeling inadequate today i want to tell you your inadequacy is worth millions to every person that's feeling like i am in over my head that emotion is worth millions to every person that says i'm not good enough that feeling of god i'm empty 
that is worth millions don't hide it away don't put it in the corner so that nobody can see it bring it to Jesus you will be amazed what God can do with somebody who says I've got nothing but I'm willing to receive the pierced one God will use it for the glory of his name to every person that has felt like I've got nobody with me to every person that has felt like ah oh, if I say some of you are not saying yes to the king's mission because you know what it's going to look like it's going to be a long journey it's going to stretch you beyond you've ever been stretched it's going to mean that your body is going to feel tiredness and fatigue you've never felt and you're waiting over here in the sidelines to say one day when I'm ready I'll follow the king's orders no my friend you won't you will waste your life and you will die there but if you will trust him say i've got no sword in my hand I've got no bread in my pocket i've got no friend on my side but i'm making my way to the pierced one i'm making my way into the temple of the holy of holies to the pierced one can we go back to leviticus the verse that we just read it talks about the the, the commandment that god meant for aaron and his priests and it talks about every sabbath bread must be laid out before the lord as a gift from the israelites it is an ongoing everybody say ongoing ongoing expression of the eternal covenant everybody say eternal covenant that means this covenant stands even today the only difference is now the shadow has come and gone but we are now in reality on the 18th of august 2012 i heard this example by a preacher and i thought it was brilliant my wife and i we got married and 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 the father of the bride would hold the bride and walk down the aisle and when you walk down the aisle guess what because there are lights in the room shadows fall on the floor it would be so foolish of me to fall in love with the shadow when i've got reality in front of me and the law points to a shadow of a day that would come where we would not have to eat pierced bread we could eat of the original Jesus Christ now is available to anybody and everybody that is tempted and tried and weak and you and I are trying sometimes to chase shadows to chase shadows but we don't have to chase shadows where the reality has come everything from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation does not point to what God wants it points to what person alone his name is Jesus Christ he is the lord of the sabbath the shadow has come and gone Abraham had the shadow but you have reality David had the shadow but you have the real deal. Joseph had a shadow but you have the real deal. The judges had a shadow but you have the real deal. The prophets of old had a shadow but you have the real deal. Elijah worshiped a shadow but you worship Jesus. Elisha had a shadow but we worship Jesus. So when we come together and we have a chance to lift our voices, when we can bring our tithes and our offerings and when we honor Jesus, we're not worshiping a shadow because the a real person is alive in front of us where two or three are gathered in my name there i am in the midst of them i'm here jesus is 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 not his shadow not his law not his words he is here he is here he is here he is here 
And what you have is worth so much. Is worth so much if you will receive the pierced one. If you will receive the pierced one. If you will receive the pierced one. If you will receive the pierced ones. Can we have that verse in Leviticus? I'll close with this. This is an ongoing expression of an eternal covenant. That means that covenant stands even today. The pierced one is available for you. Not a loaf of bread. You won't find that here with six holes in it. No. But you'll find Jesus. Because the eternal covenant, the pierced one is still here. Verse 9. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants who must eat them in a sacred place. For they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priests to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. Back in the day, Aaron and his boys were priests. But Jesus comes on the scene. The shadow goes. Reality steps into the room and says, I'm going to change the law. This is what it's going to look like from today onwards. You are a royal nation. You are a holy priesthood. So now all of us are priests. It's not just Aaron and a few boys who get to wear the badge that they're priests. Any person, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, any prostitute, any drug addict, anybody who has been there, done that, will say yes to Jesus. You become a priest in the house of God. And it is your permanent right to eat of the temple of God because you are holy and this is your permanent rights. This is your permanent rights now. Your permanent right to eat. God says, this bread is only meant for priests because they are holy. And it is your permanent right to eat of it forever. To every person that has ever felt like you don't belong. Anytime you've walked into a room and said, man, I'd rather not be a high, rather run because I don't know what people are thinking about me. Hey, let them think what they want. You have a permanent right to be in the presence of God. God has declared you holy and you are invited to have a seat at the table to eat of the pierced bread. Joe, can you give me an E? The pierced bread, the pierced bread available for everybody to eat. (sighs) Let's read that one more time. Verse 9, everybody read it together. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. Instead of Aaron and his descendants, you put your name there because you're now a priest. Gone. The loaves of bread will belong to Sujit who must eat them in a sacred place because I am most holy. It is my permanent right as a priest to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. You are most holy. You are special and you are presented as holy, declared to be righteous and declared to be priests. 